the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Philippians 1.27 We've not come here just to talk to you. We've come here to give a word from God. You know, there's many ways into trouble, but there's one way out. And that one way is to hear from God. And this morning, I want us to hear from God. We need to hear what He has to say to us. Philippians 1.27 The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. And like the Apostle Paul, I go around different churches and work with pastors and things like that. And, and uh, it's a different thing than being, we pastored a local church uh, where we planted a church in Montgomery, Alabama, pastored there 35 years, which is now the the mother or the uh, uh, church or for uh, or one of the churches of Passion Church. By the way, I want to say that uh, this August, my wife and I celebrate 50 years of marriage. Uh, she wasn't born until after we'd been married about 10 years. <laughs> I'll be 70 next month, and we'll celebrate 50. And so, uh, and been in ministry 42, for, no, 45, 46, I'm sorry, 46 years now in ministry. And God's never failed us once. And everything, every good thing we have, it has been because of God, because of Jesus. We've not done one good thing, but He has done some things. As we trust Him, and as Chad said, we just step out of the way. Paul said, above all. Everybody say, above all. Above all, above all you must live as citizens of heaven. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I kind of fallen in love with that thing. It's easy for me to understand. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. Gospel. The word gospel means good news. So if we're preaching the gospel, we should be telling folks good things. You know, we shouldn't be pointing fingers at what people are doing wrong because, you know, the old saying, when you got one pointed at somebody, you got three pointed back at you. And you remember Jesus said, get the telephone pole out of your eye before you worry about the speck in somebody else's eye. You remember that. So the gospel is good news. It gives people hope. It lifts people. It, it encourages people. It, it tells, finds people that are in a mess, that are messed up in their lives, and uh, there's problems that they don't know how to deal with. The gospel gives them hope and says, don't worry. 
what you've done wrong. Don't worry how you've been done wrong. Don't worry what may be going wrong because Jesus will make it all right. And so it's good news about Christ that a sinner can be saved, that a marriage can be healed, that a, a, a hopeless situation can be turned around. It's good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Let me read that last part again. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Let me paint a little picture for you. It's... uh, All of a sudden, our house is filled with loved ones, family, our kids have come from different parts of the country where they live. Uh, They used to all live in our house. Now, they don't even live in the same state. (laughs) They're all over. Uh, Our grandkids are there, and and, uh, you can smell the the wonderful smell of turkey and, and dressing, and my wife and a couple of the her daughters, our daughters are in there in the kitchen working. The guys are sitting in the room, probably talking about football or something, getting the game's going to start. And, and the grandkids are out playing. The little ones are running around playing, throwing a ball with each other. And uh, my married grandson and his do- uh, wife are, are sitting, and all the, the uh, older teenagers are talking to her about married life and and he's talking to them about the Lord because he's got the call of God on his life. And, and uh, you see all this going on. And we sit down to the table. We have to put several folding tables out with the dining room table because there's a whole bunch of folks there. And my wife has this beautiful spread and she's sitting at one end and I'm sitting at the other and, and I'm supposed to pray but I get all choked up because I I look at what my life has done. And I think, maybe I did do something right. Maybe I did do something right. And I look at them and before I pray, I I say, I want to tell you something. As I look down this table, I look back at my life and I realize everything in the world, everything in the world that means anything to me is seated right here. My treasure, my hopes, my dreams, right here. Right here. All the other stuff and what I tell them is, you know, all the stuff that y'all are worried about as young couples or as young kids, you'll find out when you get Mimi and Papa's age, it really is just stuff. And it's the people God's put in your life that really matter. 
You know why I say that? Because it's family. It's family, isn't it? How many of you thought about your family when I was talking like that? Yeah, we all do, don't we? We suddenly think of family. Some, there's all types of family. We think of family. And what I just painted for you, there's a word in the Bible called oikos in the Greek. And it's family or household. We talk about it when we talk about the family of God. The household of God. And it's who Paul was writing here to and what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about a church like we think church. He's talking about church as the family of God. A family. A community. Existing, living together, going through life together, doing life together as one, learning to be what Jesus means for each one, growing and failing and falling and getting back up and encouraging one another and helping one another and loving one another and being there in the good times and the bad times when everything is great and everything is wrong, when we do it right and when we fail. I always told my kids this. I said, there is nothing. When they were little, I'd say, listen, because they'd you know, get in trouble and I'd have to get on to them. And I'd tell them, I'd say, listen, look at Daddy. There is nothing under God's heaven that you could ever do that would stop me from loving you. Now, I'm a man, just a man. And if I can love like that, how much more does our Heavenly Father love us His kids? And how much more does He enjoy sitting at the table and looking at us? And I think if Jesus was here right now, He'd be looking like I was at that table and He'd see this like a table spread as we've come together to partake of the meal of His presence, of the love and care of one another and of His Word. And I think Jesus, His heart, would be overflowing. And I think He would say, as I look here, I want you to know, I see my treasures. I look at you and I say, it was worth it all. I'm so glad I suffered on that cross. In January 1972, Denise and I moved to Lakeland, Florida. Uh, I'd was going to University of Alabama and uh, thought I'd take a little vacation. And my uncle contacted me. <laughs> and uh, he said, hey, I'm so glad to know you're not in college right now because i got something I want you to do in a little place called Vietnam. And so I uh, got my draft notice and so then I decided, well, I'm going to outsmart my uncle so I joined the Navy. And uh, spent uh, six years in the Navy and then got out and had the GI Bill and went to, and got saved. I got out on a Friday night, 
or I'm sorry, got home on a Saturday night and uh, to, went home to divorce my wife because she'd become a religious nut. She had. Instead of writing me about how wonderful I was and how much she missed me, she started to write, starting to write me about this man named Jesus. And I'd, I'd think, I don't want to hear about him. I want tell me about me, how you miss me, how you love me. And, of course, it'd take about a month for a letter to get to you or so. But uh, got out of the military, got saved. Uh, that Saturday night, I got home. I was going to divorce her Sunday morning. I uh, went to church, ran out of church, mad, shook my fist at the preacher and wanted to cuss him out. And uh, uh, because of conviction... But uh, my wife knew how to get to a tender side. And she convinced me I needed to go back that night. And so I went back that night for one last time and got saved, born again. That was June 1971. June 1971. January 1972, we moved to Lakeland for me to finish my college at Southeastern University Bible College. Went there and studied and was going to become a, go into the ministry. Well, just right before that, October the 1st, 1971, Walt Disney had opened, bought 40,000, uh, I'm sorry, 40 square miles of property in Central Florida just right out, not far from Lakeland there, outside uh, Orlando, a place called Orlando, which was a sleepy little town at the time. He bought 40 square miles. Now let me give you an idea of what this is. That's the size of San Francisco. He bought a city the size of San Francisco. And he had a dream in his heart. He wanted to put some, uh, uh, something down there for the whole world to come and see. Now I know you're thinking Disney World. That was not his dream. Disney World was going to be a way to provide for his dream. His dream was a thing called the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. The experimental prototype community of Tomorrow, you know it is Epcot. Epcot, that's what it means. It's an acrostic. Epcot, experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Now here was Walt Disney's dream. And this is why he bought 40 square miles out in the orange groves of central Florida. The reason he did, because he had a dream. He, uh, see, as a kid, I'd go to Disneyland there in California. And had seen it and knew all about that, but he was going to do something. That was not his dream. He had a theme park, but he didn't want a theme park. He dreamed of a community of people that would exist on this earth 
that they would have the latest and greatest of all the technology, of all the greatest minds and greatest companies in the world that they could come up with. And every new concept, every new idea of how to better life for mankind would be in place in that community so that people from all over the world, he envisioned people literally coming from everywhere in the world to come and watch this living community of people that lived life. They were not uh, 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 on display and, you know, just a, something you could look at like a museum piece. They were actually people living a life. They were a community that uh, they uh, had homes and they would get up in the morning, eat breakfast. Their kids would go to school. They would go to their jobs. And that community would grow as they continued to have people want to come become a part of it. And he envisioned it literally spreading from there to literally all over the world. He wanted this to be the, uh, the, the prototype, the seedbed, if you will, Pastor, of what could be of the potential that mankind has if he'll always seek for the best, give his best, be his best, and do it together. And not serve only himself, but serve his fellow man. He had this dream in his heart. So that's why there is a Disney World. I mean, that's why there... Disney World was created so that it would fund the development and the building of Epcot. Disney World would be the attraction. Epcot would be the vision. After Walt died, something happened. The board of directors of Disney Corporation got together and they said, all right, this dream, this vision that Walt had, it's nice, it's great, it's grandiose, it's very commendable, it's beautiful. We all love it, but the problem is, it's going to cost us too much. Think of what it will cost us to do this. So here's what we will do instead, and they decided rather than create a living community that the whole world could see a group of people living out the very best that mankind can do, that what they would do is they would create little vignettes of different places in the world. And if you've ever been to Epcot, that's what you've seen. You can go to see uh, like a little English, uh, a London you know, a place in London or uh, over in Morocco and different places. You can go to the different restaurants and, or Paris, Parisian restaurants. All the little different shops and things and that. And that's what Epcot is today. It's really a showcase of what has been. Jesus has a dream. He had a dream when he went to the cross. It was his father's dream. His dream, the father's dream was this, that a family on earth 
what He intended in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But because of sin, it seemed to dash that dream into pieces like crystal thrown on a piece of concrete. But God is greater than any failure of mankind. And what God has determined will always be. God still has the last word. And so God's dream in His heart for a people to live on this earth that would call Him Father and would know Him and walk with Him and that He could be in them and for them and through them. Everything that He is and everything that He has, we call that glory. All that God is and all that God has. God demonstrated when the temple, when so, the temple was built, or the tabernacle was built, the temple, I'm sorry, was built. In the Old Testament, and when they dedicated that temple, it says the glory, God filled that temple so much. His presence, His glory, God as He really is, is what the word D-O-X-A, doxa, means. It filled that house, that temple, so much that it says the priest, who were supposed to be the purveyors, the instruments of God doing things in the people's lives and God's medium through which He reached and touched the people, they could not minister. They fell, and the presence of God just did the ministry. What was God doing in that? He was saying, this is what I want my family to be like. I have a dream of drawing together a people after my name who will lay aside everything else and take me. And let me be everything in them and through them. He calls it the church. The household of God. The family of God. What is God wanting in the church? He's wanting like what Walt Disney dreamed, but he's wanting it for a much higher purpose, a much greater purpose. A community living together, living out Christianity, doing life together, learning, growing, falling, getting back up, working together, sharing together doing life together as one. Under the name of Jesus, loving Him and loving one another in such a way, to such a degree, that the community around them, the world around them, looks and sees who a people can be 
when they are fully committed and totally given to Jesus and to one another. Jesus talked about it. He said, I see a city on a hill. A city on a hill. A living representation. Are you listening to me? A living representation of my Father's, of His kingdom, of all that He wants for mankind. The greatest message, the greatest sermon this church will ever preach is the life you live together in loving one another, in living out Christianity with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. If you'll do that, your words of the gospel you preach and every time you open your mouth, they will be so much stronger. Everything Jesus did on earth, everything, everything He did was to say, this is what my Father is like. And this is how He wants your life to be. When He opened the eyes of the blind, He said, this is what it's like when my Father, when Daddy is in charge. This is what it's like. He doesn't allow blindness. When He raised the dead, He was saying, in my Father's kingdom, when my Father is in control, death is nothing. When He forgave sin, when He healed the sick, when He calmed the storms, when He fed the multitudes, He was not trying to prove His power. He was not trying to prove something. He was demonstrating something. He was being a window through which those around Him could look into and see what God's kingdom is like. And the wonderful thing is that it was not a kingdom somewhere off in the distant uh, space, but it was right there in their midst. He said, the kingdom of God is not somewhere else. It's in you. It's in your midst. It's right here. You see, the cross is not about, it is not just about being, and literally, it, there's a part of it that is, yes, and I don't deny that, that is, of being saved from sin. But if I'm saved from sin, but I'm not saved to something, I am still hopeless. See, God never brings you out 
unless he's got somewhere to bring you in. God doesn't close something unless he's got something to open. When God closes things in your life, hear me, it's because he has something he's wanting to open. The cross is not just about being saved from sin. It is being about being saved and brought into the kingdom. The family of God. The household of God on earth. On earth. Years ago, there was a thing called Kingdom Now Movement. Most of you don't know what it was about. Some of you do. And it was, try, and it was talking about that the kingdom of God, God wants it now present on the earth. Well, it got taken to error in a lot of ways. But the seed of it, the heart of it, was right. What were they trying to say, or what was the Spirit of God trying to share with them? And that is this, that God wants His church to be a living demonstration not of Passion Church, not of Guy Sheffield, not of our flavor of Christianity, not of what our church believes, but of God, His kingdom, of this is what life is like on earth now when God is in control, when Jesus is Lord. But, Most in the church have said, but do you realize what it will cost? Do you realize the price? I have to let down my walls. I have to give up myself. I have to take up a cross. I have to prefer my brothers and sisters even before my own self. What does that mean? If I'm next in line and brothers and sisters are behind me, I go to the back of the line and say, no, you go ahead. It means I have to give up my will, my way for Him. I'm going to go back to B.C. before Christ in my life. And Jethro Tull, one of the groups that I liked, uh, forgive me, said this, In the beginning God created man. And then man returned. In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and then man returned the favor. Now, even when I was lost doing drugs, smoking dope and listening to him play, and I read that on the album cover, all of a sudden, something inside me, see, because there was still a place where God was reaching down inside this lost soul and something inside me that resonated and say, 
We have done that. And the church has led the way in many ways. We've made God after our own image. Instead of throwing ourselves upon the altar and crying out and saying, God, literally, what we say this at times, have your way. We sing it, have your way. But literally meaning it. What would happen in this house if you became a tangible, visible, living community of God? Formed by the Spirit of the living God around the gospel of Jesus and His name. What would happen? Now I'm telling you something. Listen to me. The world is yet to see. I don't care. You can look at any great church, any great ministry you want to. The world is yet to see a people wholly given to God and to one another. The world is yet to see that. I can promise you this too. There's an addendum to that statement. And that is this. If the world ever does, we won't have to go out trying to get them in. We will have to find ways to, to put them up. To take care of them. Because I'm telling you, just like a lost, drugged out, zoned out, Young kid, when I read those words, something hit me on the inside. And suddenly I, I was gripped with the emptiness of my own life. God's plan for His family is not just to have services and meet together a few times a week. That's fine. Getting together is important. I'm away from my wife. I'd rather be with her. If you love somebody, you want to be with them. But God's plan for His Oikos, his family, is for us to walk together in love, unconditional love. You know, it would be great if you had an experiment here and said, let's run an experiment and let's just see what would happen. If we all committed To love one another the way we believe Jesus loves us. What would happen? The problem is it would cost, wouldn't it? It is easier to do Christianity my way. To do it my way. I know how to do this thing. But do you realize that is the very core? That is the very 
core principle of sin? See, Eve was deceived. Girls, you got to buy. You got to waver. You got to pass. Eve was deceived. But guys, Adam knew what he was doing. And here's what Adam did. Adam did not point his finger at God and said, I choose her over you. No, no, no. He did this. He said, I got this. Don't worry. I know what she's done. But I know you. And I know how to do this thing. And I can fix this. I can grab a hold of my wife, Eve, and you, God, and we'll work together. And he was going to be a mediator. And sin was born. I was in a plane going to do the funeral of one of my spiritual fathers, George Stormont who was mentored by Smith Wigglesworth. And he was a mentor in my life, a father, as Wigglesworth was a father in his life. He was from England, had pastored 55 years in England. Anyway, I'm on my way to do his funeral. I'm sitting in a plane at 33,000 feet in the air. And I read a verse that said in John 5:19, the son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees his father do. That the son does. And I heard these words, can you say what my son said? And as soon as I heard those words, Pastor, I understand about a breaking of a heart that goes deeper than any natural grief could ever touch. My heart literally broke in that moment and through big tears weeping like a little child, I said, no, Lord, I cannot say that. But if you'll help me, I want to. Listen, guys. What am I saying? I'm saying this. The thing of us living together as a family, as a community of the Spirit of God, and I'm going to put some definition to that a little more in a moment as I close. But what I'm talking about is a grandiose ideal, it seems, that we hear in church a lot of times in messages is things that seem grandiose and great and all of that, But in reality, a lot of times it never becomes real in our life. But what I am talking to you about, what I am falteringly trying to communicate, is there is is a potential, there is a reality. There is a tangible, touchable, visible body of people that God longs, not willingly, but longs 
longs with every part of his being, longs to demonstrate, to create. On this earth, so that the world, the lost, may see what it is like. What life is like when Jesus is Lord. My experience on that plane, what God was saying, the things that I want you to do, the things that I long to do, the things that you know but seem so out of reach, don't let go of them. Reach for them. Don't settle for less. Don't accept church as normal. Go for what I want. Go for all you know I've purposed, and I will do it. You roll the stone away, I'll create the community. You take the hindrances out of the way, and I'll create community. So what would this look like? What would it look like? Passion Church. Passion Church. This church is built on two guiding principles and two alone. Only two. The great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another as you do yourself. And the second is the Great Commission, which really is not effective unless the first is in place. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. And really, when he said your world, world there, the word he used in the Greek, Aramaic, is it is every man's world, your world, going to your world. Whether it's the high school world, the junior high world, the banker's world, the truck driver's world, the carpenter's world, wherever your world is, and all the worlds that you intermingle with. Go and let your light shine. Let the world see who I am and what I've done and what I'm really like. And he was not speaking to an individual. He was talking to his church. And the only way we can effectively fulfill the Great Commission is if we're living out the Great Commandment. If we will live out the Great Commandment, all of a sudden, the Great Commission, it's not something we organize. It's not something we get a group of team or a team together and strategize to go, dude, that's fine. That's well and good. That's better than nothing. But if we will focus first on living out the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, 
will fall into place. Because the world has never seen a body of people that love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another just the same as they love themselves. I'm going to read something to you. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, to prayer. It seemed like they couldn't get enough of each other. The Bible says they met together every day, not for church services. They didn't have meetings. There wasn't, there wasn't work groups going on. That's fine. That's well. But you know what it was? Out of their love for God and love for one another, they got together all the time. I was driving here yesterday and called my son and we were talking and he said, well, if I didn't have this thing going on tonight, I'd drive down there and be in the service there at Passion South Haven or at Corn Lake with you. And I said, what do you got going on? He said, oh, he said, all of our launch team, he said, we're all getting together at a crabfish or a crawfish boil over at uh, Leaper's Fork, just a few miles away from Franklin, Tennessee there. I said, what do you got planned? He said, oh, just to get together and love on one another and have fun and laugh and have a good time. I told him, I said, son, that's powerful. I said, because you're going you're gonna to grow a family out of that. And that's what the church is. It's not an organization. It's not something we join and become a member of. Yes, it's good to join and all that. But it's really something we're born into and it's who we are. A deep sense of awe. The fear of God. See, when because of them doing this, the fear of God came over them all. There were signs and wonders. You want miracles? You want the supernatural? Why doesn't... I have pastors ask me all the time, or people ask me, why don't we see miracles like we read in the Bible? I said, well, when we meet the conditions, they become a natural outflow. We're looking for the fruit, but we hadn't planted the tree yet. Now listen to this. And it goes on. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. It will cost you. I remember years ago when our church was, uh, I was we had started our church and we were about three, four years old and uh, we probably had about three, four hundred people at that time. And I was getting up to preach a message. And all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit say something to me. He said, I just felt there's somebody here has a real need in your life. And I want you to stand. Well, a lady stood and said, well, I don't know, this may be out of order. And, I, and she wasn't a part of the church, but she was in the service. And she said, this may be out of order, but our refrigerator broke down. My husband's out of work. We don't have a refrigerator, and I don't know what to do. Would you just pray for me? A guy stood up and he said, you got a brand new refrigerator. 
Another guy stood up and he said, I think somebody is in need of a car. A lady, single mama stood up and said, My car broke down yesterday. I had to catch a, I had to get a friend to bring me to church today. He said, You got a car. Listen, that service went on for several hours. There were refrigerators, washing machines, dryers, cars, uh, money. Even a man gave me my first plane. Free and clear. That's how I became a pilot. Now, what happened? I stood there, and pastor, I just stood in awe. As a matter of fact, like Chad, like his, I just kind of stepped out of the way because I didn't want to get in the way because it's hard to manage the miraculous. So I just stepped back, and I'm a spectator. And when everything would kind of slow down, I'd say, is that it? And someone would say, no, because I won't. I, my wife and I, we just cashed out an IRA, and we got... Uh, some money, and we want to pay off somebody a debt. Has anybody got a, a debt we need to pay off? You, this seems wild, doesn't it? But that went on. Now you say, boy, you know what? There's a, I, my mind, I can see how a lot of people can take advantage of that. Why, of course. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure that out. Of course, people to take advantage of it. And sometimes that's a doorway that God uses to get a hold of their heart. I could tell you story after story after story after story of lives that were touched and changed and what that did for our church. Let me just say this. When all that was done, there wasn't hooping and hollering. I am not kidding. When all that was done, people were little ladies that had three little kids and no husband. He's gone. Is got her kids there and she's kneeling at the chair, weeping. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't know how I was going to get that refrigerator or how I was going to get that done. People are loving on one another. People are going to one another and men that hadn't talked in a year, because of getting their feelings hurt, are kneeling at the altar, weeping, praying, and crying, saying, I love you, I'm sorry. I was, that was so silly of us. Couples that were on the verge of divorce suddenly are in love again and said, I was foolish, I don't know why. I love you, I don't want to lose you. I didn't preach a message. Now, my flesh, if it could have, would have taken credit somewhere in that. Because there's nothing good about my flesh. But I didn't do anything. There was no message preached. The Spirit of God just suddenly said, I want to show you what family, what daddy's family is like. I want to show you what it's like when we really 
sit down at his table and feast on his goodness and partake of his love. And we love one another. And we care for one another. And it matters to me if you're hurting. Because I don't, it doesn't make any difference to me if I feel good, but you don't. I'm not good with everything going good in my life, but it's not in your life. Now, understand, when I get to heaven, and I've said it on earth a thousand, ten thousand times, when I get to heaven, I will know this. I am there not because of one thing I did. Not one thing. I am there by the grace of God. Grace. And there's not one good thing I have done. Not one good thing. I haven't done a good thing in my life. I've done a lot of things I'm ashamed of. Got mad at my wife the other day. Raised my voice, acted silly. Then had to apologize. And here I am, we've been married almost 50 years. I'm 70, been saved most of my life. And yet I lost my temper over something. That's a shame. I shouldn't be up here preaching. You know what I can say? I can say, Jesus, you and I just saw what I'd be like all the time if it wasn't for you. If it wasn't for you. I can't tell you the miracles that came out of, of that service of family. You know, and you, I didn't orchestrate it. I didn't think, I got a great idea. No. But you know what? That doesn't have to happen in a service. If you'll listen, if you'll listen, listen to me. There's been so many times I got a car given to me. We, we didn't. We were just starting the church. I mean, we didn't have anything. Nothing. Nobody was backing us. Nobody believed in us. It was just me and Denise like two little sparrows hanging on to a limb in a, in a hurricane. And our feathers getting blown off of us. And I was driving an old beat up car that should have worked for the city for killing mosquitoes. <laughs> and a man, a doctor, gave me a car. Amen. Well, this young guy happened to be living in my house that had been on drugs, his life was messed up, he'd gotten in so much trouble, and I was mentoring him and discipling him and get him out of all kinds of mess. He was living there with my wife and I in a, in a, uh, back in a room, and, and uh, I was helping him come out so he could get back with his wife, and, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, you like that new car? I said, thank you so much. He said, you really like it? And I said, Yes, he said, you love me? I said, I love you so much. Not because of the car now. 
I love you, but I do appreciate this. He said, you really do? I said, yes, sir. He said, then I want you to give it to him. I said, get behind me, devil. Because I know that can't be God. God's not a giver and a taker. I started I quoting the scripture, talking in tongues, doing everything I knew, singing Christian songs so I wouldn't hear anything. But you know, there's a still small voice that's louder than thunder. And he said, You really love me. I said, Don't do this to me. Don't ask this. See, it costs too much. It costs too much. I said, All right. I just want to drive it around the block a few more times, though. <laughs> so I drove it around the neighborhood a little bit, just got the feel of it. And I said, okay. Drove it back. and That guy was getting ready. He was going back to his wife. They were going to get back together, and he was going to get a job. He lived down in the uh, south part of Alabama. And I gave him that car. I mean, he broke and he wept, he wept, he wept. And when he put his stuff in there and he drove off, let me tell you, I felt so good. It couldn't compare to how I felt when that doctor put the keys in my hand. Now, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. All I did was listen, try to close my ears, and try to go, no, 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 no. But you can't because he's in here. And all I did was just simply say, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Daddy. Whatever you say. Now, years later, or a few years later, two, two, about two years later, we're in that service. You remember that service where everybody's doing everything? And a man walks up to me. People are crying. People are getting things right. He walks up to me and he says, I'm giving you my plane. I said, what? He said, I'm giving you my plane. He was a pilot that earned his living. He was a full-time pilot and owned his own plane and uh, planes had but he had a, uh, this plane that he flew all over uh, in his job. He said, I'm giving it to you. I said, I can't fly. He said, don't worry. He said, I'm going to pay for a pilot that will fly you wherever you need to go. And he said, and you go get your license and then it's yours. That pilot, he paid for that pilot to fly me in my plane. I had a plane. Y'all, you hear what I'm saying? Where did that plane come from? Anybody got an idea? How many of you think you know where it came from? It came from a car, didn't it? I've owned five planes. The last one, a jet. Now listen. 
God wants to do something. We're on a journey. Don't look at where we're not. Look at where we're going. Don't look at what we don't have. Look at what we're going to have. Are you with me? We're not there yet. Say it with me. We're not there yet. Let's make it personal. Say, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But how many of you are willing to go on a journey? You're willing to go there? You're willing to take a trip there? You're willing to try to get there? Are you willing? Well, stand with me. And here's how we're going to close this out before I turn it over to Pastor. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some discomfort. I want you to move across the aisles to where you can join hands one with another. And I want those on the end to join hands with those in front or behind. I want us all hooked up as best we can be here. One big family. <laughs> now you know what most preachers do when, you're, when they got you like this? They preach for another 30 minutes. <laughs> but listen. Now listen to me. What's your name, sweetheart? Huh? Erica, the devil wants to get to Erica. Just like he wants to get to all of us. And he knows our weaknesses. Yours are some, and yours are different, and yours are different, and yours are different. He studies us, and he finds our, the places where he can attack us. And we're most vulnerable. Now everybody, you guys right here, drop hands. You drop hands. Erica, let go of their hands. Now see, I can walk right up and take control of her. Do what I want. And Erica's got to fight me against with her own. But everybody, join, you guys join hands again. Erica, join hands. Now listen, to get to Erica, i got to go through all of you. And that's what you need to let the devil know. To get to one of mine, brothers and my sisters, you got to go through all of us. And you're not getting through all of us. And Erica and ever all the Ericas in this room need to know you are not alone. You are not alone in this journey called Christianity. You're not alone. No matter what may be going on, no matter how much you may fail, no matter how many times you fumble the ball, no matter how many times you don't get it right, don't worry. We're not going to let you down. We're not going to let you stay down. If you fall, we'll pick you back up. I'm telling you, now this doesn't seem like a great, great big altar call, but right here, if there can be love here, to where we're connected and say, I will not let you fall. I'm telling you, if we love one another like this, the world out there will come asking, what is it? What is it about you? 
there's something different, Tony, about you. There's something different about that church you go to. My Father, we humble our hearts before you, our God. We need you so desperately. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for your grace and love and mercy. We thank you for where you've brought us. But Father, we ask you this. Work in us. Your will, O oh God. No matter what it costs us, Lord God, we want your will because we know you don't. You have said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to do you good and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. You're good, God. So we trust you. We're willing to lay down everything. Make us into that people. A family of God that South Haven, Horn Lake, and DeSoto County can look at and say, so that is what Jesus is really like. That's what God is like. I pray it for this church. In Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.